Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Persevering in Hope. So turning your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 to 12, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Productive for Life. We have certain cultural traditions that remind us to be thankful that Thanksgiving is one of those. At Thanksgiving, we're called upon, you know, to take stock of everything that we've received from God and to return thanks. And some of us will want to make a list that might include our health, food we eat, our clothing, our houses, our jobs, our spouses, our families, our friends. May the Lord forgive me for all the times when I've complained. Psalm 16, 5 and 6 probably sums up my life so far. It says, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And interestingly enough, God demands our participation in his benefits. We don't just receive things from him. The world could have been such a place that required no effort from us at all. God could have made us in such a way that we didn't have to work for anything. But he has chosen to make this a world in which we must work. You know, it's been said that we should thank God for our daily bread, and yet that daily bread doesn't drop out of heaven into our open mouths. We need to labor for it. Have you ever wondered why that is? Well, in our study of 2 Thessalonians, we've now come to a text which is remarkably practical. So let's read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 to 12. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the traditions that you've received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. All of us need to understand that the benefits we have in our lives demand that we participate in receiving them. Wool, which is provided by God on the back of sheep, doesn't just fly off the sheep and onto our shoulders in the form of clothing. And metal doesn't just ooze out of the ground and form into a BMW and drive onto our driveways. We don't lie in our hammocks in the backyard and watch as God rains grapes down into our open mouths. You've got to work. And if you don't, someone else has to work to provide it for you and you're freeloading off of them. And so today, let's consider why God wants us to work. First, from our text, please see that work affords us an opportunity to bless the lives of others. Look at verse 6 again. Now, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. So that word idle doesn't mean these people were doing nothing. The word that is translated into idle is a word that means refraining from productive labor. 
So these people were busy, but they weren't busy with the right things. And in consequence, they're becoming disruptive in the lives of others. And it might be that these very people had too much time on their hands were also the same people who were paying attention to the false reports that the day of the Lord had already come. In other words, to the extent that these people stopped being a blessing to others, they started becoming a curse to the entire church. But God wants us to contribute something positive to the lives of others. And here's what Paul instructs the Thessalonian believers. He says, take responsibility for the lives of others. That's what Paul refers to in verse 6. Live according to the teaching you received from us. Well, what was the teaching? Well, clearly Paul had taught on the theme of work in the past. He wanted God's people to be productive. In fact, the theme of work comes up over and over again in the writings of Paul. For instance, Ephesians 4.28 says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. So in other words, the point of work is not only to be productive, but it's also to contribute something to needy people. In fact, the early church had developed a pattern where they had taken care of widows. They had instructions about helping the poor. There were wider issues such as, you know, sending out Christian missionaries and teachers. If you worked, you could help them. When Paul wrote the first letter to the Thessalonians, he gave some very similar instructions. Chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So work allows for at least two things. It allows us to share with those in need rather than relying on others, and it wins the respect of outsiders. In other words, by working, you're not only taking responsibility for your own life, but also for the life of others. People can be won to Christ if you work hard. You're gonna win their respect. I've been told that in the new era of the gospel, when it began afresh in China, I mean, one of the ways in which the gospel went forward was the productivity of Christian workers. They simply had a work ethic that refused to waste time, preferring rather to work for their employer as if they were working for Christ. And Paul says, you'll also have something to give to God's work if you work. Now, how would you pray for this country if you did nothing to see the gospel going forward? How would you feel about yourself if all you were was a consumer of religion? This is, of course, a different view of work than's often held in our society. You know, many people work only for themselves. I mean, they tell themselves, I've worked hard for everything I get, and I'm not going to share it with anyone. They work hard so that they can get enough to live, and then they can retire. People speak about Freedom 55, which means that they'll finally be free to drop out on their commitments. So people buy lottery tickets because they hope they're going to win. And when they win, they won't have to be productive members of society anymore. And sadly enough, many Christians, once they've made it financially, well, they can't be counted on to be productive in the Lord's work. So think about all the physical blessings you enjoy in this life. Does this come from a God who has dropped out? Without his work, your work would count for nothing. Food, clothing, shelter, all that comes from a God who loves us 
and is actively involved in bringing blessings into our lives. I remember a number of years ago hearing someone tell me that he didn't owe anybody anything. He had worked hard for everything he had. I asked him whether he'd worked for his health or for his energy. How about his intellect or the air that he breathed or the the soil which produced crops or the rain that fell from the sky or the trees which grew in the forest that, that provided him with the materials to make his house? It all came from a gift from God. And we owe God an infinite debt of gratefulness for what we have. He's been working for us. God is working for us because he loves us. God wants you to be the same. He wants you to give to others as he has given to you. So we need to be a blessing to the lives of others by taking responsibility for the lives of others. And we take responsibility for the lives of others if we have something to share with them, and that takes work. And on that basis, we as believers are called upon to model a productive lifestyle. Again, look at verses 7 and 8. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. And from 1 Thessalonians, we learn Paul had refused a wage for his pastoral duty when he was in Thessalonica. And the reason for doing that was not that he didn't have a right to the wage. You know, as a matter of fact, the scripture mandates the payment of pastors. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 14 says, In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But Paul had realized that some people would misunderstand his motives. And they would think that the reason he was preaching the gospel was because he wanted to make money. So in order not to confuse that issue, he chose to carry on a full-time job as a tent maker, planting the church in his off hours. Now he says, that was a model for you. I wasn't a freeloader. I wasn't a beggar. I never took what I hadn't earned. I think each one of us should have opportunity to model the same. We need to embrace the view and model the lifestyle that we have been given an opportunity to make our lives lives of service. We should not long for the day when we don't have to serve, but we should live out our lives in such a way that we will always be servants of our master until he calls us home. Want to stay in the loop with everything going on at Back to the Bible Canada? Then follow us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're there. There's no better way to be up to date on all of our latest audio or video Bible teaching programs, blogs, special Bible resources, and much more. And while you're there, be sure to leave a comment and let us know about your questions, your feedback, or the impact this Bible teaching ministry has had on your spiritual walk. We love hearing from you. And don't forget to share the posts with a loved one so they can also receive encouragement that is always rooted in God's Word. For more information or to request this month's free Bible resource, Your Salvation Story, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. You know, it's vital that all believers in Jesus hold a proper view of work, both the value of work 
as well as the great privilege that God has given us when we work. And Paul laid down a rule when he was in Thessalonica. It's found in verse 10. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So the connection between working and eating, well, it's a connection that's being undermined in our culture today. And I think it's happening in a number of ways. Let me give you two. The first way is that in some of the social policies that we've developed in the Western world, now this is not a statement you know, about politics, and, I, and I'm thankful that we live in a society that has a social safety net. And I'm thankful that if you lose your job in this country, you're not going to be left destitute. And furthermore, I don't think it's good to criticize those who have lost their jobs and are desperately trying to find work. In fact, we ought to be gracious to them. I think we ought to try to be just a bit more empathetic. Let me add a word here. When we see someone begging on a street corner, I don't think that quoting 2 Thessalonians 3.10 is that good of an idea. We should be careful to bless the poor whenever we can in a responsible way. I leave that word responsible so that you can apply it. You know, some have become destitute because of their own poor decisions. I know that. But nonetheless, they're destitute. I'm glad that God didn't treat me the way my sins deserved. Why am I then so glad to treat others in a manner worthy of their sins? See, some of us need to re-examine our thinking and repent of our arrogance to the poor. But all of us know of the fact that we now have a culture in which a permanent class of people now live on welfare. That is, they do, their parents did, their grandparents did, their children most likely will, and their grandchildren as well. It's psychologically and spiritually debilitating. It creates a permanent underclass of beggars. It creates an expectation that no one from that group of people will ever amount to anything. And I remember a conversation I had with a young woman who works in that kind of an environment. She told me that one of her students told her that one day he wanted to have a job of his own and a car and an office to go to in the morning. And his friends laughed at him. See, for them, getting a good job was like becoming the king or the queen of England. Nice idea. It's never going to happen. Well, how tragic to create such an expectation. See, for them, their only hope for survival was that the state would send more social workers and more money and more benefits. They simply couldn't understand that the world doesn't owe you a living. They simply didn't understand that God had so gifted them that they could be successful. So they became constant complainers, complaining that others weren't taking care of them the way they felt they should. Well, there's another way in which this connection between working and eating has been undermined. It's been in the rise of an entertainment culture. Uh, We've seen that in forms of, you know, financial speculation. We've seen it in the proliferation of lotteries and gambling. We've also seen it as outrageous sums of money are routinely paid to athletes and movie stars and musicians without any traditional form of work. So new forms of work are now formed in which all that one does is speculate with other people's money. People stand in lines in malls to get a crack at a big pile of money they didn't work for. People with this mentality no longer see themselves as servants. So this kind of money is completely divorced from the idea that there's a connection between working and eating. Let's make that connection again, shall we? All of us have had others work for us. 
You got up in your house built with materials that came to you from the logging and the mining industries. You turned on the lights which came to you from the dams and the power company with its untold workers overseeing a network of cables and wires. You turned on the water in your house with its pipes that run to a system that must be overseen and maintained. You ate breakfast, which came to you from grain farms and dairy farms and poultry farms, cattle farms. Your breakfast was cooled all night in a fridge, which was built by people in a factory. It got to your fridge from the grocery store with its many workers. It got to the grocery store because there was a huge trucking industry across this nation, and you dressed yourself with clothing, which came to you from textile industries and from countless workers such as seamstresses, designers, business people. You drove to work in a car which came from engineers and computer programmers and countless factory workers. And if you live on a farm, your tractor and machinery are the products of engineers and designers and builders and laborers in factories you might have never seen. Your car used gasoline which came from individuals who work in the oil industry. You drove on roads which were designed and built by numerous workers. In fact, those same roads need to be maintained yearly, especially if you live in a colder climate where, you know, potholes seem to grow in the spring just like the leaves on the trees do. You know, if the upkeep of road workers were not constant, in just a few years there would be no roads at all. And when you go to church, did you know how many people made preparations for every weekly service? And when you right now listen to this Bible message, it's not just me preparing the message. There are a great many things that need to be done to just bring it to you. And how about when you go to a restaurant or a night out somewhere? Again, someone's working for you. And when you work, you're joining in, you're participating to make sure that we're not living in the Stone Age anymore. Not one blessing you enjoy came for free. The same happened in your salvation. Yeah, it came by grace, but it came at a great price. Don't you see what work does? It blesses the lives of others. Only workers sustain the kind of culture we live in. If they stop working, we immediately fall into poverty and into disease, into starvation and into death. There's no horn of plenty when there is no work. Each believer should hold that view of work. We are abandoned hopes of getting rich enough to drop out. Why? Why would we want to stop being a blessing to others? Do you know why the Dead Sea is dead? It's dead because there is no river flowing out of it. All day long, it just receives and it never gives. We ought to embrace a lifestyle of work so that we can be a blessing to others. And so on the basis of that, we need to teach others that Christ wants us to be a blessing into the lives of others. And that's what Paul does in this passage. He's not content to simply model work. He wants the church to make the lifestyle of work a part of basic Christian discipleship. Look at verses 11 and 12. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. And you'll notice that Paul makes a distinction between being busy and being a busy body. You know, it's a wordplay. It's also a wordplay in the Greek language. You know, Paul's saying that there are some who are active in an unproductive and an irresponsible and in a disruptive manner. 
So he criticizes some people in Thessalonica who are not engaged in legitimate work. Legitimate work contributes to the well-being of others. Illegitimate works serves only to disrupt others. By the way, that's why there's a pornographic industry. It's an example of illegitimate work. See, every once in a while I meet people who are completely shocked that a part of fundamental Christian teaching is the teaching that each of us should settle down and earn the bread we eat. There are those who believe that the church should help people but not demand anything of them. They think it's hypocritical for the church not to help everyone. That's not biblical teaching. Here's an illustration from 1 Timothy 5. It's a chapter about how to take care of widows. There was no social safety net in those days, so when a woman became a widow, she would become truly desperate. So what would the church do? Listen to verses 3 and 4. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So we teach and demand that this is basic to Christian discipleship that every single believer in Jesus learns to be productive. We do not teach that anyone should only receive, and to that end, we need to teach our young men and our young women to lead productive lives. And we need to celebrate healthy role models. People in spiritual leadership in the church ought to be known for those who work hard. It should become the reputation in town that if you hire a Christian, you'll hire the best worker you'll ever find. It's standard Christian teaching, and it honors the Lord. Thanks, John. You know, I I love the expression you used earlier about religion being a tourist mindset. When we're called to be holy as he is holy, that really does away with any notion of a quick fix faith, doesn't it? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there is no quick fix faith, um, although there is a quick fix for our burden of sin before the throne of God. That is true. At the same time, we are called upon uh, to actively uh, share our faith, to be active in benefiting others, to be active in uh, working with our own hands. I mean, these are all part of what God has called us to do, and we continue to do this for a lifetime. So let's continue to be about the Lord's work. Let's continue to do it until the Lord calls us home or until he comes again. Thanks, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we conclude our series, Persevering in Hope, right here on Back to the Bible Canada. Bible teaching you can trust. The definition of legacy something that is passed on. But legacy can mean so much more. Your faith, core values, your character, or the life you lead. Maybe this is news to you, but Back to the Bible Canada partners with Advisors with Purpose to provide expert estate planning at no cost. This is a third-party service, so Back to the Bible Canada is not involved in the planning or how you would steward your legacy. We simply hope to provide access to an opportunity to ensure you leave a legacy that will accurately represent your wishes for future generations and faithful stewardship of all God has entrusted to you. So if you're interested or would like more information, call Advisors with Purpose directly at 1-866-456-1111. 
336-3315 and let them know you're a friend of Back to the Bible Canada or visit backtothebible.ca slash legacy.